little kid from Sunday school, right? I still ain't figured out church yet, but Craig, I get. Now, he can't walk on water, turn the Napa Valley red, but he just might be tight with a man that did. Now, he's not the light of the world, but I wish that mine was bright as his. Yeah, he just might be tight with a man that is. As the song continues, you find out that Craig and his wife, Laura, gave Walker and his family their family van. They don't just speak the gospel. They live the gospel and meet practical needs and show the love of Jesus. And as an atheist, Walker wrote that song and doesn't want to name the name of Jesus. Like he was very creative in never naming Jesus in the song. However, months or years later, Jesus, the hound of heaven, gets a hold of Walker. And Walker is now a follower of Christ. In an interview with Craig and Walker a few weeks ago on the Today Show, Walker said, I just want to live for Jesus now. That's the point of my life. That's the point of my music. That's the point of my marriage. That's the point of my parenting. I want to live for Jesus. God used Craig to walk out the gospel, bear witness of the gospel, and watch God change lives for the gospel. And yes, Jesus is the light of the world. And then he passes that title on to his people. Friends, God does not just do that in, on the country music scene. He doesn't just do that in Nashville. He does that here. Our God is a God who changes stories, redeems stories. Dry bones are awakened. And what we notice is that what Craig believed impacted the way he lived. And we've seen that throughout Ephesians. If you'll open up to Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, we see that what we believe impacts how we live. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to start at verse 8. We're going to be studying to verse 17 today, kind of a middle section of chapter 5, verse 8 to verse 17. And here's what, I mean, verse 16, here's what God's Word says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. Point number one today is this, live as light, live as light. In John chapter 8, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, you people, uh, his followers are the light of the world, a city set on a hill. He goes on to say, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. So we see in Ephesians chapter 5 that Paul picks up on this light and darkness language of Jesus. And he says this, at one time you were darkness. Now notice he doesn't say at one time you walked in darkness, though that's true. He said at, what at one time you were darkness. You had no light. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were following Satan and you were a child of wrath like the rest of the sons of disobedience. 
You were darkness. But notice what it continues to say. But now you are light in the Lord. In the Lord, in Christ, you are no longer darkness. Your story has been completely changed. You have been washed, given a new heart, filled with the Holy Spirit. You are a new creation, and you are light. Jesus is the light of the world. Now he's passed on that illuminating presence into the world in you, his people. This is who you are. This is who you are. We'll we'll study later, but a lot of what Jesus is saying is be who you are. Be who he's already made you to be. This is who you are. That's an indicative for you English scholars out there. That's an indicative, and uh, indicative is followed by a command, an imperative. The indicative, be who you are as you are light. The imperative is this, walk as children of light. Because you are light, walk as children of light. Paul is continually concerned that Christians walk out the doctrine that they proclaim. In Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, it speaks of the glorious doctrine of Christ, who Christ is and who we are in Christ, but it's not enough to stay there. It's not enough to just have academic theological head knowledge. No, the doctrine informs our life. It is a lived doctrine. We walk as children of light. Now, what does that mean, though? What does it mean to walk as children of light? What does that look like? Verse 9, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Now, it's interesting because Paul just mixes different illustrations. Like, I don't think, like, light and fruit don't usually go together, but he's just, like, bringing it all together. And fruit, we see throughout the text of Scripture, is basically saying evidence, the evidence of light. The, the fruit on a tree is evidence of what kind of tree it is. For believers, the fruit is evidence of their light, that their life is characterized by what? Three things. What is good what is right, and what is true. In the original language, good, the word good there could speak of a generosity. The right could speak of integrity. And true is speaking of the absence of falsehood. So friends, is is your life evidenced by what is good, right, and true? Is your life characterized by what is good, right, and true? Is it characterized by generosity, integrity, and an absence of falsehood? Remember, you're, you are light, is what this text says. You're not just shining light. You are light, is what the text says. Kind of like the moon radiates what's coming from the sun. We radiate what's coming from the S-O-N, sun. Your light, now walk as children of light. I love how practical verse 10 gets. As you seek to walk out Christ's likeness, there will be moments when you're puzzled on what to do. You have those moments, you're like, I don't really know what God's calling me to do. And so verse 10 says, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Sometimes we want our Bibles to just be a a manual, a rule book that tells us exactly what to do at every moment. Okay, I'm at Starbucks. What do I order? Genesis 3. You know, you're like, 
No, it doesn't, it doesn't do that. That's not the purpose of Scripture. God's Word is to give us God's story of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, and how we fit into the glorious story of God's plan. And then we try to discern God's desires for each moment, God's desires for each decision, God's desires for each interaction, which is part of the maturing process. And as we mature spiritually, we will grow in walking as children of light, growing in the fruit of light, growing in discernment. Or as 1 Peter 1 says, He has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. So as we grow in knowing Him, we'll grow in this discernment. We, we can try to understand what the Lord's will is. It's very practical. And how do we grow in discernment? I'm glad you asked, because Ephesians gives tons of information about this. Ephesians chapter 1 has told us we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit leads us. The Holy Spirit is our, our, our promise, our down payment of our inheritance, but He also gives us gifts so we can walk out wisdom, discernment, how to live. How do you live? Well, what gifts has He given you? That's part of how you know how to live in this world. Ephesians chapter 2 has told us that we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So most likely that's speaking of God's divine revelation in His written Word. So how do we discern what is good, right, and true? Well, we know God through His Word. We know God through His Word, His Spirit and His Word. And then we saw in Ephesians chapter 4 that as we grow in maturity, as we are in the body of Christ, maturity comes. We're built up in love. We're God's household, God's family. So we're around God's people. We begin to discern what is good, right, and true as we speak the truth in love. Chapter 4, verse 15, we learn Christ and are taught in Him. Chapter 4, verse 20 and 21, as we speak the truth to our neighbor. Like, this is how we grow through the Spirit, through the Word, and through His people. Here's the point. Living as light will be vitally connected to how God uses the Spirit in our daily life, His Word in our daily life, and His people in our daily life. So how's walking as a child of light going? Is your life filled with the fruit of what is good, right, and true? If, if you're daily leaning on the Spirit, daily leaning on God's Word, daily living with God's people, my guess is, yeah, it's happening. You're understanding what is good, right, and true because you're, you're availing yourself to the means of grace, the things God gives by His grace to you to understand how to live life, to know what is good, right, and true, to know how to discern His will. And if it's not true, friends, remember you're not walking out who you are in Christ. In many ways, God's Word just tells us, be who you are. If you're a follower of Christ, if He's saved you, He's taken out your, your stony hard heart, given you a soft heart toward Him, if, if Christ died for your sin, rose from the grave, and you've trusted Him as your Savior, you are light. Be who you are. Walk this out. In the next verses, Paul continues the analogy of light, but transitions to the idea of darkness and how believers are to relate to the darkness. Here's point number two, fleeing and exposing darkness. Fleeing and exposing darkness. Look, look at verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. 
For it is shameful even to speak of things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. These verses show that darkness, which in the context of chapters 4 and 5 is speaking of futility of the mind, sensuality, sexual immorality, impurity, greed, covetousness, those are things that are related to darkness. All darkness has a warning sign on it, basically. Warning sign. Take no part. Take no part in the unfruitful works of of darkness. We don't linger around darkness. We're not entertained by darkness. We're not uh, taking part in darkness. No, the text even says in 422, put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Put on the new self. And notice in the context that Paul contrasts the fruit of light what is good, what is right, what is true with the works of darkness that are, quote, unfruitful. You see the contrast there. That which is good, right, and true, that which is unfruitful, which is dead and damning. And just pull on that vegetation analogy for a minute. In order, in order for plants to grow, they need light. David Henry, I think, is here somewhere. David's been boasting to me about his peppers, his ghost peppers, his peppers that will burn you if you look at them. The way those peppers grow is by light. They have to have light. Whatever apple you love or watermelon that's refreshing, it needs light. It needs deep roots of, a, of the plant or the tree. That's the way they grow. But do you know what grows in darkness? Fungi, disease, molds, mushrooms. I once heard an author talk about, is your faith like a tree firmly planted by water or is your faith like a mushroom? Comes up for a little while, goes away quickly, has no roots, remains in darkness. Do we have a tree-like faith, a firm faith that weathers storms, or is it mushrooms that just gets crushed? Friends, your life needs light, or your life will be unfruitful. See, what's interesting in the text is it tells believers what to do with all this. How do you interact with darkness? It says this, expose it. Expose it. Believers are to live by what is good, right, and true. Shine the light on dark areas of the world. Though it is shameful to speak of what is done in private, verse 12, so we aren't to give like explicit details of what's going on in darkness, the shameful acts, but we expose them with clarity of what evil is in the world. So here's a simple way to say it. We call sin, sin. We call evil, evil. Now, what does that functionally look like? We shine the light on evil, whether that is in our own hearts, repenting to the Lord, or on others. But in the context of the passage, it's particularly speaking of shining the light on the evil, unbelieving world. How uncomfortable does that sound? Like, sign me up for that. Love that idea. 
And this isn't just talking about Facebook posts or like something where you're like behind a monitor and like there's no interaction, like truth bomb. No, that's not what this is referring to. You see, we live in a cancel culture, and this isn't about canceling people. This isn't about demeaning image bearers. It's not about being unkind, but we do call sin, sin. And here's just a helpful way to call sin, sin. We use biblical vocabulary. The Bible defines life and reality, not just whatever the cultural vocabulary is. So adultery is not an affair. Prostitution is not sex work. Abortion is not women's health care. It's murder. Immigrants are image bearers of God, not leftist pawns. Homosexuality is sinful. Heterosexual lust is sinful. Marriage is a union of one man and one woman for life. No-fault divorce is a lie because there's always fault when people break the marriage covenant. Ethnic superiority and partiality does not honor God, and America is not the kingdom of God. The list can go on. We can just shine the light about different things. We can talk about left and right politically, idols everywhere, and we shine the light on those of the gospel. And friends, none of that was hate speech. I don't hate any of those people that might take offense to these things that are true biblical statements. God's light shines. Verse 13 says, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. What is evil finally becomes clear. And friends, if this is in your life, like that which has been hidden, there's a point where light shines through others, through just whatever circumstances of like, what I've been believing is a lie. That's the light shining. The scriptures say what is done in secret will be shouted on the rooftops. Light shines and light exposes. But friends, light doesn't just expose. As you continue in the text, you get this idea that the light transforms. The light of the gospel, when it touches things, it transforms. When it touches lives, it transforms. So that person that's walking in darkness is light of the gospel, true reality of their sin and struggle and mess that they're making of their life. As it shines, that light becomes light, the life to them. They're transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved Son. How do I know this? Well, I know it from Scripture, but I know it from this room. We are these people who have lived in darkness, who have been those dry bones, who the light of the gospel has shined on us, and we know that it's true. The gospel of the glory of God in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection and ascension, and he rules now. So we walked in darkness. We were all arrogant idolaters. We were self-indulgent. But like we talked about last week in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, it says, such were some of you. Such were some of you. But you've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. As Walker Hayes was around Craig Cooper, He says he wanted the light that Craig had. Walker was loved even though he was an alcoholic. He was cared for even though his God really was songwriting. 
He was respected even though he, quote, hadn't figured out church yet. Friends, light exposes, but it doesn't just expose. It transforms lives. Verse 14 then shows that transforming moment, calling people to turn from their evil and turn to Christ and realize the darkness is made visible. Look at verse 14. Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Most likely, this is an early church call of repentance. Many think it was an early church hymn. This is a call to go from darkness to light, from deadness to life, from asleep to awake. Let Christ be your light. Enjoy the light of Jesus in your life, for this light brings growth and fruitfulness. The light of Christ awakens us from lethargy. For those who do not know Christ as their Savior that are in this room, this passage encourages you to wake up. Wake up from the consequences of your life, from living in darkness and evil. Wake up to the glory of God. Turn from darkness and turn to light. And for those who do, not, who do know Christ, we must ask, does our light shine or do we just blend in with society? Does our life just kind of blend in there? We're not really a city on a hill. We're like a mound in the suburb. Like we're just kind of blending in. Our life just looks like everybody else. Nathan Wingate once said, and I love this saying, our lives should be questionable. First time I heard him say that, I was like, I don't think I want a life that's questionable. Like, it's normally a negative context, right? But he was like, no, our lives should be questionable in that they should stir questions from other people. Does our life stir questions from non-believers around us? Questions like, how do you have such peace in hard circumstances? Well, it's, it's Jesus. How can you be patient with your kids? I can't. But Jesus helps me. How can, how, how can you lay down your life so much? How do you have such joy? Those answers are for all the Christ in me, the hope of glory. I once was darkness and now I'm light. He saved me. He can save you as well. You see, our text though then turns to a major area, major way God's people can shine the light of the gospel in their lives. It may not be what we think is going to be next, but it's talking about how we view our time. How do you view your time? Third point is this, make the best use of your time. Years ago, John Piper wrote a book called Don't Waste Your Life. I love the book, super helpful as God glorifying, God-focused in, in our aim of life. But I want to narrow down a little more. Not just don't waste your life, but don't waste your moments, your minutes, your hours, your days, your weeks, your months that turn into years, that turn into don't waste your life. But how do we not waste our moments? We're, we're not going to understand how to not waste our life until we start looking at the moments of our lives. Verse 15 helps us with that. Look at the words there, verse 15. It says, look carefully. Look carefully. you got to pause. We can skip by look carefully and not actually look carefully, right? 
Examine our lives. Look carefully, not moving too quickly. Examine well. Behold with accuracy. Give close attention to what? Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. We need to examine, each of us in here need to examine whether we're living wisely or unwisely. You see, several times Paul has talked about walking. This is living out the Christian life. In chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which we've been called with humility, gentleness, patience, love, and unity. Chapter 4, verse 17, we're to not walk as the Gentiles in the futility of the mind. Chapter 5, verse 1, we're to walk in love, sacrificial living. And we just looked in 5, verse 8, we're to walk as children of light. This is wisdom. This is slowing down, looking carefully at our minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, years. Friend, what is the trajectory, the trajectory of your life? Where are you going? Is it the path of wisdom or the path of foolishness? 15 expands, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Friends, when was the last time you looked at how you used your time? Like you really just pulled back stopped, notifications off, maybe cell phone off, unreachable thought. How do I use my time? How do I use my early mornings? How do I use my mid-mornings, my later mornings? How about the lunch hour? How do I use my lunch hour to the glory of God? How about my early afternoons, my mid-afternoons, my late afternoons? How about dinner time, after dinner, evenings, bedtime? How are they used? This is like the one thing we all have in common. Like you, you have 24 hours in a day. Every human has this. There's not 25 for some and 23 for others. You might have different ethnicities. We might have different cultural backgrounds. We might have different economic status, but we all have 24 hours. And we're all called to use it for the glory of God. How do we use it? How do you use your down moments? How do you relax, refresh, rest, Sabbath? How do you make decisions? Saying yes to some things and saying no to others. And do we realize when we say yes to something, we are saying no to others? Like we actually think through that with our decision-making? How do we not waste our moments that then add up to a wasted life? Friends, in our fast-paced age where everything that's seen as good is quick and new and big, how are we walking, get that walking, in the way of Christ, at the pace of Christ? Understanding that the Christian life is sometimes slow and steady and faithful, and Paul even says a quiet life that goes directly against our culture. How do we make the best use of the time? John Piper gives an illustration about two ladies. One of the ladies who lived on the mission field ended up dying a martyr proclaiming Christ. 
The other lady who moved to Florida with her husband uh, had an early, easy retirement in her early 50s and collected seashells. And Piper asked this question, which one of these is a tragedy? He proposed that the second was. Living the last 10 to 30 years of your life before eternity with no aim for eternity, no aim for heaven, no loving sacrifice, no growth in godliness, but simply collecting shells is a great tragedy. And some of us might say, well, yeah, I'm going to live my life all the way for the Lord. And, 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 but we sometimes don't realize like that trajectory of early retirement and collecting shells and just being insular with your life, that doesn't start in your mid-early 50s or your, you know, 65 when you can collect Social Security. No, it starts in your 40s and 30s and 20s where we have self-focus and self-indulgence. You see, we can even mock the seashell collecting, the soap opera watching or something our grandparents did and completely ignore the time-wasting of our generation the Instagram scrolling, the Netflix binging, the news source indulging, the YouTube consuming. Make the best use of the time. Friends, we've we've got to pull back and consider, and this doesn't just hit a couple people in here. This is all of us in how we use those 24 hours a day that we have. I'm going to get on some of you guys and then on myself here. I enjoy Marvel movies. I know some of you guys do too. Even those take up a lot of time. If you watch every movie and episode in the Marvel series, it's about 6,000 minutes, 100 hours. Friends, many full-time jobs give less than 100 hours of vacation time for an entire year of work. We've just got to understand. I'm not saying don't don't go watch a movie. I'm just saying we've got to think through this well to the honor and glory of God. Because it says, look carefully. So if it says, look carefully, like God's making eye contact with you and me about how we use our time and that it can be used to shine the light of the gospel. So are we making the best use of the time? Are we as effective as we could be? Are we getting as much sleep as we could be or should be? Are we as peaceful and restful in God as we should be? Are we prioritizing the things of God like we should be? Are we honoring Him? And if we're looking carefully at how we use our time, it seems that God would want us to maximize some priorities in our life. And I think those are linked to the things that are showing the light of what is good and true in our lives and faithful. We already covered these, the Spirit of God. Are we maximizing the priority of God's Spirit in our life, that that God has given you gifts for you to use? Are you maximizing thinking about those, stewarding them, stewarding the people in your family who have gifts who are believers? Are you using that, maximizing God's Word, your personal growth in the Word and in prayer and in fellowship with the saints, which ties into maximizing your time with other believers, being known and knowing others. Let me just tie in to knowing the Spirit, knowing the Word, and knowing His people with just a little hobby horse for a second. I'm going to kind of step out, do a little hobby horse, and that is being people who continue to learn 
being learners. We are to be continually learning. And I would just say that's people who read. People who read things. Now, you can read bad things, obviously. Recently, I heard this quote from a godly lady. She said this, All the godliest men I know, godliest husbands, fathers, and leaders are readers. So this isn't to down people, but it's not (laughs) husbands, wives. We can all be down on this. But it's this idea of we learn. We are moving forward toward the Spirit wants to work. The Spirit wants to work in our lives. And so what that means is the Spirit's work in our lives as we read about dead people. You know, we read from dead people. We read from godly people. We listen to podcasts or sermons or watch things that help us. We want to be people who grow and are discipled and disciplers. Friends, we've got to be people who lean in, who look carefully, who glorify God. David England said a few weeks ago, there's a difference between having a full life and a busy life. As we think through shining the light of the gospel in our lives, is our life full with the things of God, which is fine, or is it just busy where we say yes to secondary things? Friends, the tragedy of our day is that Christians are adopting our cultural definition of life our culture's definition of pace, and the normacy of busyness. And yet James says life is a vapor. Isaiah says man is like grass. We wither away. So how are we not wasting our life? And friends, we shouldn't expect this to be easy. Like, if you're like, I'm just going to pull back, I'm going to look, I'm going to fix it, boop, 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 pull a few levers, I'm going to be good. You didn't read the rest of that verse. Look at verse 15 and 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Like, Satan is coming at you. Like, he is opposing you. Later in Ephesians, we'll say he's shooting arrows at you. Galatians 1 says we live in a current evil age. We live in a world that wars against Christ's kingdom and has rulers and authorities that hate us, distract us, sidetrack us, lull us to sleep, and would love to lull you to sleep just to be ineffective. We live in the already of being the light and the not yet of being surrounded by darkness. Friends, we must wake up where there's slumber. We must be vigilant in how we use our time, and we must be wise and discerning and seek first the kingdom of God. That's what Craig did with Walker. It wasn't dramatic. It wasn't flashy. It wasn't to have a song written about him. But Craig was slow and faithful with a friend, using his time to love another, to shine the light. In fact, when Craig received the song that was written about him by his atheist friend, he was in a really low spot. He was questioning his fruitfulness. He was questioning his effectiveness in life. He was questioning his service to Christ. He was really discouraged. And then he gets a text 
from his atheist friend talking about how he sees Jesus in Craig. Basically, a non-believer saying, you are light. Say in this text, you are light. Your light has shined. Craig, be who you are. Friends, some of us are discouraged today. Let me just say with Walker, be who you are. We may be aware of wasting time. Repent, turn to Christ, be who you are in Christ. You may be aware of darkness in your life. You may be aware of like, man, I wanted to be a learner. I was a learner 15 years ago, but I just stopped and dried up at some point. Friends, turn from your sin, turn to Christ and be who you are. This isn't to be discouraging. This is like God is for you. He illumines you for this world. Turn to Christ. You are in Christ. Be who you are. Christopher, if you'll come on up. My prayer this week is that, this is kind of an odd prayer, but I'm just going to pray it, and I'd love you to let me know if this happens, that God would encourage you. That God would encourage you. A lot of times we're praying about, Lord, how do you want us to encourage others? And maybe God wants you to encourage somebody in this room. But that God would encourage you, maybe through the song of a non-believer. That would be awesome. Or maybe just from a friend, maybe a coworker. That God would encourage you by His Spirit. Because here's the fact. We all know the mess we are. We all know when God says, you are light, we're like, yeah, kind of. Like, I believe that, but Lord, help my unbelief. I don't feel like I'm shining particularly well today. Friends, we're going to finish by singing this song. You can go ahead and stand. And what the verses of this song, what the chorus of this song basically say, is it's not about you. It's not about me. We just shine the light of Christ because all we have All we have is Christ. So let's sing this together as a testimony of truth.